the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here with editor-at-large of Super Jump Magazine, Wyatt Donegan. Hey, Wyatt, how's it going? Going pretty good. Going pretty good. Played, I've been playing a lot of games lately, so... Yeah, I, I saw that. You, you're, uh, you're making up for me. I, I've kind of been in this, like, couple-month uh, spell, actually, of just, like, not playing that much. Uh, I, I go through that every once in a while. Uh, but since I think it was since I finished, might have been Kingdom Hearts three. I kind of just uh, I needed to like step back from from games just like a, a little bit. Just Kingdom Hearts three asked a lot of me, I think, and I wasn't able to to produce for for Kingdom Hearts three as much as I would have liked to. But now. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about games. We we seem to be in a better spot right now than we were uh, since the last time you were on the show. A little bit. Mm-hmm. There's still some some iffy stuff in the games industry, and there always will be. Yeah. But <laughs> at least uh, it's not as grim because our last couple yeah. of podcasts was like were pretty grim. We're like people getting laid off and all that kind of stuff. So at least we don't have any of that this week. Well. <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the the show document. We have a couple things, but before we get to those, let's go into the playtime report. Why? What you've been playing? I I've seen a, I'm seeing a lot of stuff. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I I want to single something out. I want to hear the most about Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. I figured that was gonna be it. I figured that was gonna yeah. Be it. Um, so yeah, so this is a game that kind of came up out of, out of nowhere, really. I think it was announced back in, I want to say January, uh, but it is a Power Rangers fighting game. Uh, so it's, it's a 3v3 tag team style, kind of like a Marvel versus Capcom, Dragon Ball Fighters, that same kind of, uh, same kind of thing. And their, uh, their whole kind of goal was making this a game that even very casual players can play so there's no quarter circle motions like you find um like the typical fireball motion from street fighter um that almost every game uses so everything that you do is just you have a light medium heavy and a special button and you can modify some of them by pushing you know down or left or right while you push the uh the attack button but there's no complicated inputs uh, but there's still tons of combo opportunities you can pull off some really crazy stuff um like i'm the type of stuff that i'm seeing i'm in this discord uh, where people post a lot of tech and the stuff that people are already coming up with the game officially launched on uh on switch first on i think march 25th 26th somewhere thereabouts and then it launched on uh ps4 on the second so just a few days ago but people already come on up with some some crazy things and the best part is it's only 20 bucks correct me so, if i'm wrong but wasn't this wasn't this a phone game or what associated with a phone game? It is, yeah, yeah. So there's a phone game called Power Rangers um, Legacy Wars or Legacy Battle. There's something with Power Rangers and Legacy in the title, um, and it's it's basically kind of like a it, it's a fighting game. It's very basic, even more basic than this this uh, Battle for the Grid. Um, but it's made by Enway, and the same company that makes the phone game makes this uh, this console game as well. Um, and the, the really great part is the developers of it are like, his name is clockwork. He's one of the best oh. uh, Marvel vs. Capcom two players, yeah. um, in the world. So, you know, he's, you know, been an Evo, all that kind of stuff. So he's the main gameplay designer for the game. So oh, that's amazing. 
yeah, so it's not being just made by like some random company. Like it, this is a true, you know, fighting game legend that is, you know, overseeing the development of this game. So, um, so and it, it's very polished. Like even though the graphics aren't the greatest, because um, it's a twenty dollars game, but like it's got you know some of the iconic Power characters. It's only got nine characters at launch, but they're adding three free characters and like an update in a few weeks. And then the first like season of DLC characters um, is coming that has three more characters. So it's going to have a fairly hefty roster so far. And they're already talking about what kind of, you know, uh, balance uh, adjustments they're going to make and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's fairly bare bones right now. There's no story mode. Um, it's basically just online and then like an arcade mode and then training. Um, but for 20 bucks, you get to you get to fight with these Power Rangers um, and it's pretty fun. You know, I've been playing it quite a bit the last, uh, last couple of weeks and you know, it's just, a, it's a fun game and the, the online actually has really good net code, which is a big thing for fighting games. Obviously yeah. not everybody can get out to, to, uh, to, to their locals to play offline. So your online has to be crisp and with fighting games, you know, with the shooter, you can deal with, you know, it's annoying enough to have a shooter with lag, but you can kind of deal with it to an example with fighting games when you're doing frame perfect you know blocks and, and and inputs and all that kind of stuff you need it to be super clean and i honestly i've only had i've probably played maybe 50 or 60 matches between the switch and the ps4 and i've had maybe two where i could actually notice the lag everything else has been super crisp so for you know for a 20 dollars game it's <clears throat> it's pretty good i will say though the online there's a pretty big bug where you can't block uh, low attacks so if you just spam low, you can you'll always hit. So that's kind of annoying. So if you're looking for like super competitive, that can be a little bit annoying. But they've already said that they're fixing that with the first update. So it's got some some you know some small issues, but for twenty bucks, like it's really not that bad. Yeah, it seems really cool. It also seems kind of cutely aligned with Power Rangers as a brand, which is known for a kind of low budget, cheap things, but with a weird amount of I guess soul behind it, uh, and, and that that seems like this what this is like like a mobile game developer getting the, this really compassion or passionate uh, uh, fighting game player to design the gameplay. Yeah, that's exactly. that's cool. Um, so you've also been playing Elder Scrolls Blades, and I played this at E3 last year. And yeah, I did as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I gotta say I was really not into it at all. <laughs> um has it changed much not really no uh, cool. from what i played it <laughs> at e3 it's pretty much the same um so if you didn't like it at e3 you're not gonna really like it here either <laughs> okay um, so and, and not only that but there's a new thing that they're already have gotten quite a bit of backlash and and uh bethesda did say that they're gonna make some updates so when you find a chest in mm-hmm. like a dungeon um so obviously it's a free game. You know you don't have to pay a, a dime to get into it. Right. But where they get you is, you know, the main part of any RPG is finding new loot, finding chests that have items and all that kind of stuff. So when you find a chest in this game, they're all time locked. So uh, it, uh, the basic wooden chest takes five seconds to open. Not that bad. But silver chests take three hours to open, and gold chests take six hours to open. Yep, that's so. Crazy. So for, you know, (laughs) just to open. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you're going to be doing, 
you get at least one per dungeon that you do. And even dungeons take five minutes, maybe 10 for a fairly long and in-depth one. Um, so, you know, you're getting, you know, pretty quickly. Like, if you play for an hour, you're going to completely fill up your, your 10 slots that you have for, for chess. And it's, you know, it takes three hours per silver. Like, right now, I think I have four silvers and two golds. So, it's like, that's going to take me almost... So like about 36 hours to just open those. And that's not counting any new newer ones that I pick up in advance. So that's definitely something that is, is fairly annoying. And they did say that they're going to be trying to change kind of how that works a little bit now. But it, uh, it, it's pretty ridiculous how unable some of the more... I, I, I'll say some of the more respected... Uh, triple-a games publishers and developers are at making the same kind of game on a phone it mm -hmm. like like when nintendo first announced that they were going into the the smartphone uh world with, with like metopia and, and uh super mario run were the first couple of those they did i was i was pretty excited by it because i was hoping maybe they would start a trend within the phone um phone game market for these premium games because that's what i assumed it would always be like with nintendo you're gonna pay for a game but it's like a game you it's like a mm -hmm. game-ass game and that lasted a little bit with super mario run where it was you could try it for free and then you pay for the game um but then fire emblem heroes on phone it's it's like completely free to play uh pay to win randomized mm -hmm. loot box like every bad word you could possibly say about the yeah, monetization exactly, yeah. strategy of a game they did it like all of it and then they did it to animal crossing the same way as well and it it, it just makes me wonder like how much is is the form the function here like can you yeah can you even do a console game on a phone and have it work because it the the number of players on something like well Pokemon Go for sure that's astronomical but like mm -hmm. Fire Emblem Heroes Animal Crossing Pocket Camp are it, it did eclipse the 3DS versions of those games on number of players for sure is it that unreasonable that if they made like a regular game on phone phones that like they would be unable to recoup that cost because it seems cheaper to develop as well um yeah exactly yeah. you you would you'd seem like or it seems like that would be something that they would do way more often because and, and not only just you know if they make a full game but it's like make a game that's not full full-blown like loot box all that kind of stuff because like i love fire emblem heroes when it first came out um but it's just one of those games where you know like yeah sure like i i think i spent like maybe 40 bucks when it first came out to try and get like the, the 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 top heroes that came out within the first two weeks, and and I and I got them, and then you know two weeks after that they added stronger ones, and that's just how those games go, you know every every two weeks every month they add new characters that outdate the previous old ones and just force you to keep buying money over and over, and it's like I understand they're making a lot of money, but. Like, look at Fortnite. You know, that game is completely free. You don't have to spend a dime to play it on your phone, but they still are making hundreds of millions of dollars per month from the phone version on just the cosmetic items. So it's like, I feel like 
I don't know why you know a company like Nintendo or one of these big developers doesn't just go that route. Like, hey, let's make a free game and and we'll put some transactions in there, but let's just make them like really cool cosmetic things that people would want to buy and not you know not force them to actually have to buy these things to even be competitive or have fun with the game. Even the Fortnite method of, of, of doing things, though, is, is almost a half measure. Like, it, it's almost mm-hmm. saying, like, it's it's fine if you do this kind of microtransaction thing, just as long as it's all only cosmetics. That's still, to me, like, that's still <laughs> a little... A yeah. little not great. And, and, like, the fact that we're saying this is, is the good alternative to something is, is, is kind of kind of wild like why do you think elder scrolls blades couldn't just be like an elder scrolls elder scrolls games that work that work that sorry an elder scrolls game that works with the touchpad on the phone yeah exactly like yeah i i i why because they're not going to do that with elder scrolls 6 in elder Mm. scrolls 6 whatever that game is whenever it comes out you're not going to have a chest that takes multiple hours to open yeah Uh, exactly. that is a phone game exclusive problem Mm-hmm. And just, just it, is, is it something about the the form? Like, did, uh, what a phone is is essentially be, because it, it it can be played on iPad as well, which isn't necessarily a phone. Um, mm-hmm. But what what it means is like there's no buttons; it's only a touch screen. Somehow that convinces every game publisher to put microtransactions in it, and I don't understand why that happened. I really don't get yeah, like why yeah, right. why did why do these bad practices live in complete safety on this thing just because it like what what is different about this thing than consoles that made that happen and I I have no idea what it is um, yeah it's really because yeah, yeah I mean if you would even if you would put out Elder Blades or Elder Scrolls Blades and made it like five bucks but it has no you know microtransactions or anything you just play the game like it is. Like I think you probably could have, they could have made a lot of money as well without having to force these things onto people. But I think they're, for some reason, when it comes to mobile games, people, these the developers have gotten in their minds that they have to, um, they feel like they have to make you continue buying money over and over, which is a weird concept, especially for a game like Elder Scrolls that is meant to be played for hundreds of hours. Right. You know, you buy it once and you play it for hundreds of hours. So why, why isn't the same, why is it that same line of thought being used for the mobile version? Like here, you know, spend $5, but yeah, you know, we're going to let you play this game for hundreds of hours, but you know, you spent, you only spent $5, but like, it's no different than a console version. So it's just so weird. Like you said, I don't know where it was. Yeah. Like in the line of, of these, you know, mobile games that it just became a prerequisite that if you have a mobile game it has to have microtransactions and in, in, in the not only that but the game almost has to be marketed and centered around those microtransactions yeah like i remember when mario run came out people were mad that it was ten dollars and yeah. then when fire emblem heroes and animal crossing pocket camp came out uh, i think pocket camp actually did get a lot of derision but fire emblem heroes they were like oh it's this dumb thing but okay <laughs> they weren't mad yeah. like when when mario was ten dollars i don't get it man like yeah, i i don't know if i'll ever get that it's bizarre it's a weird sure. cultural um thing hey you know it's another weird cultural thing um <laughs> since the last time you were on the show uh we were talking about dragon ball i i, I remember on, on the very last episode we were talking about it and i mentioned yeah. to you i'd seen the original dragon ball series 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I had not seen anything past that. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Since that episode, I have watched all of Dragon Ball Z Kai uh, and all of Dragon Ball GT. And I've started on Super. Oh my god, <laughs> you have been been moving. <laughs> I've really been I've really been like just chewing through it. Uh <laughs> watching Kai was a good was a good choice cuz I'm watching yes. the normal Dragon Ball Z and it actually it gets painful at times of how drawn out it is. Mhm. Uh it yeah, I mean even in Kai it did. The Frieza fight <laughs> was still 20 episodes. Like it, which is it's all the main fights it kills me. Like I think Frieza was long. I, I'm almost at the end of Cell Saga right now, and I think the entire Cell Saga is, is something like 60 episodes, and the majority of it is, you know, the same, like, like there's like three main fights, but they all take about, you know, 10 to 15 episodes each. Yeah. And you're just like, can we get through this? Like, do we need <laughs> all of this? <laughs> no, you don't, but... <laughs> yeah. In, in Kai, though... Like I, I appreciate the the realization that hey, back in the day we went too hard with this filler. Let's take some of it out. Mm-hmm. But like, I'll take an episode where Yamcha plays baseball. That's great. I <laughs> I'll take that. That's that's awesome. What I would rather you really cut down on the things that you think are very important, like this Frieza fight, because yeah. this doesn't need to be as long as it is. No, almost none of the fights. I, I will say, like, Super did a a better job at that. There's less, like, ridiculously drawn-out fights. Um, there are, but there's still the fact that the first 27 episodes of the show are adaptations of two movies. Yeah, I don't know why they did that, honestly. That was a, we- a very weird choice. Yeah, it's just it's, a lot of time. Yeah, because not only is it it's just an ad- adaptation of the movies, but it's with a... a a less pretty art style because they just don't have you don't have as much money that you can spend on a weekly tv series versus right you know a one-shot movie but it's like it's just a truncated or not even truncated it's an extended version because those movies are only about an hour and 40 minutes long but each one of the the uh the resurrection f saga and then the god the battle of the god saga i think are about 13 14 episodes each so it's like why yeah, I, I don't I don't get it. I'm a I just finished the Battle of the Gods saga of the show of the first movie, basically. I, I haven't gotten to the Frieza movie yet in Super. Um but it, it it struck me as I was starting Z and going through it, because my, my, my previous attachment to the show was just that original series, which was much more adventury than yeah. what came mm-hmm. next. Um just how much it turned into a video game and <laughs> that that's interesting especially considering how the show itself and, and the manga it's based on especially were coming out along the same time as video games were like really starting to develop their modern form so they hadn't that like the, the things that make me feel like dragon ball z is a video game haven't really interest entered the the mainstream discussion of like what video games feel like yet, so that was that's interesting to to me, especially because like every every fight in Dragon Ball Z is based on power levels, and that's such a video game ass thing to yeah. to talk about. <laughs> uh, that that's basically EXP, 
or mm-hmm. uh, or, or how fusions are, are so everything's so mechanical. Yeah, like exactly. everyone's got forms and fusions, and like you cannot do a certain thing if you're below this power level. But if you're above it, it is easy to do. Yeah, uh, and, and then you train in the, on the you know the hyperbolic time chambers, like you know, it's, yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. grinding in a game and you know getting up your level, like. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's exactly like that, and, and uh, I I I wonder I wonder how that happened because those tropes feel gamey to me because it's the way it's the shortcuts games take to not have to explain every single thing to you, right? Not have mm-hmm. to like say, oh, well, this is your character going to the bathroom. No, you're not going to have to go to the bathroom in a video game because they'll they'll export that to something that you just assume is happening in the background and yeah. they'll they'll simplify the idea of getting stronger into numbers but this show doesn't need to do it because it's a show but it does it anyway and mm-hmm. i i wonder i i wonder uh how do how do you feel about that because i thought it was so so cool i thought it was cool um it kind of shouldn't be cool because it's it's a little it, it's a little lame that everything's so so gamified in the show when it doesn't have to be but i i like it i i think it's a fun interesting thing for for a show to do yeah i think it's cool especially because you know it's sort of uh it almost makes it feel like uh like there's structure to it like because they're doing all these weird and crazy things that are 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 you know quite simply outlandish and, and ridiculous but they have an order to it. So all of these things like power levels and, you know, different forms that all of the, the, the Saiyans take and everything, those are all things that, like, it, it gives explanation to things. Yeah. It, it kind of explains, like, hey, this is why they're able to do these things. It's not just kind of like, hey, they're just doing these random crazy fights for no reason, but, like, hey, no, there's a there's an order to this. So it kind of gives it a little bit of structure, I think. That, that that's a good way to look at it. Even the um, e- even collecting all the Dragon Balls is such an RPG thing. Like you need to get the uh-huh. seven things, um, and usually you would never see a thing where you need to get seven of something in a show or a movie, because I think it's understood at this point that that would feel monotonous. Mm-hmm. And in a game, you see it all the time because that's th- those are levels. That's how you divide up a game. Um, but yeah, Dragon Ball again. It'll just it'll just go for it. It has no shame. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, and I appreciate that about it. I've also played a little bit of Celeste, and I haven't played Celeste. Uh, I guess in about a year. That kind of crept up on me. But I was uh, I was kind of just looking through my games, looking at some for someone to play. I I played Celeste, and I was immediately struck by how much worse I was than I remembered being. <laughs> because that that game is hard, but that game is 24 levels, and I've beaten all of them um, when I was going through the game. And that 23rd and 24th level, those were incredibly difficult. I yeah. I took five hours on a single screen in that 23rd level. And uh, then I would like go back like, hey, how good am I now? And I would try the first level again and I would just like zoom through it. But now I try that first level again and it's hard again. And I, that made me a little sad. I didn't retain the skill. 
I thought yeah, I would. Was, I don't know. That was a really tough game. It was fun. But towards the end, it got very hard. Um, so, last one, I think, uh, you, you were playing Mortal Kombat 11. Yeah, so they had a, a like a closed beta for if you pre-order the game last weekend, and that was super fun. I've I've gotten on a, as you can tell with the with the Power Rangers and the Mortal Kombat, I've gotten a little bit of a of a fighting game kick again. Um, and yeah, I I haven't played Mortal Kombat in a long time, but uh, it was really fun, and I'm I'm excited for the real, the the actual game to come out. So if you're a fighting game fan, definitely now is a great time. There's a lot of really good fighting games out right now. Um, are, are you a long time Mortal Kombat fan? Yeah, like I've played from, um, like I said, I, I hadn't played one in like a couple iterations, I think, but that was one of the first games that I have memories of playing because my, my brother played it a lot. Well, I didn't actually play it because my parents would let me, but I would watch my brother play it. Um, both, I think we had the Genesis version, like I think Mortal Kombat 1 or 2, and then he had, um... Mortal Kombat trilogy on the N sixty four. When we got when we first got the N sixty four, when I was like six, I got Super Mario. And my brother got Mortal Kombat because my parents knew we loved that game. So I remember watching him play that. So that's like one of my earliest gaming memories is Mortal Kombat. So it's cool to kind of come back to it and and especially see just how how different it's gotten, but how it's still kind of kept that same sort of chemistry of itself all throughout these games like this is the 11th one but right. it still feels very much like a like a Mortal Kombat game I um I I'm kind of having a hard time getting a read on this installment of Mortal Kombat and and what makes it different um mm -hmm. if there's anything like that uh what what would you say to someone like me who doesn't understand what this one is all about so I mean when was the last time that you've played a Mortal Kombat game? I played Mortal Kombat 10. I but okay. I, I didn't play it like a lot. I I just yeah did play it. Yeah. So th the one thing I would say from a more like technical standpoint of a fighting game, this one is definitely more uh, like neutral game heavy and like more footsie based. Um, so it's less of a rushdown game than Mortal Kombat X was. Um, like there's no dash button or anything like that. You can still do normal dashes, but there isn't like that, that dedicated run button. And a lot of the characters just, there's less opportunity just for the kind of explosive, like blink in your dead, you know, 25, 30% um, combos like you had in the past. There's still combos and stuff, but the game overall is just a lot slower. That um, sounds worse <laughs> that, that... <laughs> it's definitely it's a lot of people are, have been talking about it since it came out because like the 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 beta and the, the the two betas that they've had were like incredibly slow um but they've said they're gonna up the dash speed a little bit so you can walk a little bit faster because like as the game is right now with what people have actually gotten their hands on it's night and day different from mortal kombat x um, it's it's very slow, like almost to the point where, like, if you watch more, if you watch MKX and then you watch somebody play Eleven, it it looks like they're playing in slow motion, like it, it's so different. So, but it'll be a little bit faster, and once the game actually comes out, so um, huh. so that's kind of like the main difference. They've kind of tried to dial back kind of the craziness, which is sort of what makes Mortal Kombat kind of its thing. So, yeah, I, I wonder what the reasoning there was. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I just, they've, that's what, like, Ed Boon and kind of the, the development teams have said. They just want to make it 
more footsie based um, and like less 50 50 based, which is for people who don't know a lot of fighting. 50 50 means you have to, at any given move, you have to guess like, are they going to go high? Are they going to go low? And mm. a lot of characters were based on that in MKX. So it was a lot of gotcha. guesswork. So it, when it got very hectic and scrambly, the good players, you know, somebody like Simon Fox, like they were able to really excel because they're good at pushing people into those guessing games. Um, but with this one, they kind of wanted to slow things down a lot and make it kind of like more traditional fighting game S with a lot of like footsies, which is the kind of when you're moving back and forth, trying to like get in on each other. So it's more kind of focus on that rather than the just crazy wacky things, which is, you know, good and bad, but it, it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how, the, how the game progresses once it's out and then in the the coming months as it goes along yeah i'm i'm kind of surprised that in the wake of super smash brothers ultimate doing as well as it did by going a little bit faster a little bit more bombastic a little bit pushing just a little bit harder that Mm -hmm. uh such a big name went the opposite direction for their next installment and uh huh interesting well it's definitely different yeah, that, that, that is definitely different. Uh, that's been our Playtime Report. Thank you so much, Wyatt. That's a lot of games. We went a little bit longer <laughs> than I went to. I wanted to because we do have some very exciting stories to talk about in the Newsy Nibble! Okay, Wyatt, I'll let you pick. Which of these four things do you want to talk about first? <laughs> uh, let's start with the Nintendo VR. Because I feel like that I one was is hoping. probably the quickest. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Nintendo is making another Labo kit. Uh, they, they've done three so far, and they're, this is this will be their fourth. Uh, where one of the one of the toy cons, the one of the constructible cardboard things, is a VR goggle that that you can slide the Nintendo Switch itself into, and look at things in VR. Previously. Uh, the the only software that the thing was confirmed to work with was the actual ToyCon software, uh, so that would be like whatever they load in, probably an aquarium, because that seems like a Nintendo thing to do. I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna look at an aquarium in VR, great. Uh, but now it's been announced that Super Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, their their two biggest Switch games. Uh, maybe barring Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I don't know if that's number two or three, or one. Actually, I have no idea where that is. But two of the three biggest Switch games will be compatible with the VR goggles. Uh, the Labo VR goggles. Super Mario Odyssey will have exclusive VR missions that, that don't seem like much. They seem really short. Mm. Uh, and But Breath of the Wild, you can just play the entire game in VR. Uh, so that's I've written wild. down, so that that's weird. That those yeah. those are my notes on that. So that's weird. Um, I don't, I don't know how to think about it. Like I, I assume it'll be really bad VR. <laughs> that's my <laughs> assumption. Yeah, because I mean, you're just putting it's not you know you're just putting a piece of cardboard with probably some like reflectors yeah. in front of your switch. It it because it feels like the ones like the VR. That they put in magazines where you just like build a cardboard box and put your phone inside of it. Yeah. Because that's basically what Labo is. It's just cardboard boxes, for better or worse. Yeah, but my phone is higher resolution than my Switch screen. 
That's a very good point. That's a um, very good point. And and it's yeah, smaller, undocked, so that I resolution think... is like more pushed together. Yeah, because I think the undocked, I think it's seven twenty. Yeah, it is. It, it's for, the for switch is seven twenty. Yeah. And then if you were just to have that, it, it's not even that because then like you need to make pretty pretty small eye holes be the only thing that you see on that screen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh That's weird. And just in addition to that, it it's really heavy and it doesn't come with a strap, by the way. You hold <laughs> you hold the Joy-Cons attached to the Switch up to your face and that's how you use it so i don't i thought so i was picturing like an actual like there was something that that kept it to your head so that you could hold the joy cons separately but you have to just hold so you you're basically doing like a what were those what are those things the red the the red little things where you it looks like a picture oh yeah um, um i forget what they're called but yeah but you know like they had all the disney movies and all that kind of stuff in it that you I I totally totally know what you're talking about, but I can't. It's basically it. so it's like that, but with a video game, and you have to play the whole thing like that. That's a very Nintendo thing to do, to be honest. Yeah, it makes sense that you would think it would have a strap or some way of attaching to your yeah. face, because that's why wouldn't VR's it? <laughs> <laughs> why would you have to hold your switch yeah. to your face? Plus, like just uh, putting a little uh, putting a little elastic band in the Toy-Con box is like too hard for them i guess yeah right yeah. like an extra couple cents well actually now that i think about it this it's going to be heavy because again it's doing something it really wasn't built for you're putting an yeah. entire console on your face yeah um, it's not... <laughs> yeah so maybe there was no way to do that um yeah, it could be yeah but i don't want to talk about it too negatively it's, weird, uh, yeah. it, it's cool it, I mean, it's that cool. they're trying yeah. uh it, it yeah, reminds I mean, me something. It reminds me of the Toy-Con uh, car and bicycle that, that were kind of their own thing at first, but then they patched in support for those within Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So you can use the Toy-Con, the, like the cardboard, with that game and, and just... I mean, I don't really know why you'd want to necessarily, but it's cool that Labo is... is uh, I, I think they wanted to make Labo very much its own thing, and then it sold poorly, and then they, they realized, oh, it might be better if it can attach to the, our existing games. Uh, so yeah. that's why we're seeing things like this. I want to know how cool these Mario Odyssey VR missions are going to be. Because that, to me, is the most exciting part of this. Like, there, there's, yeah. there's DLC for Mario Odyssey, but new things to do, which is the thing that we've been asking for forever, but it's like, it, it's only in cardboard VR. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> just like, okay, yeah. thanks, Nintendo. Yeah, th- thanks, buds. I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so that's Nintendo VR. Um, here's, here's uh, I'll, I'll pick next. Here's, here's what we're t- going to talk about next. Jason Schreier, um, the man, the myth, the legend, has uh, just been been writing up a storm <laughs> about every which thing he can write on. And the most Basically. recent thing he's chosen was the development of the game Anthem. And so last time he did this, he talked about the development of Red Dead Redemption 2. And that was damning. This yeah. is 2, but in a different way. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 felt like He's really blowing the lid off of 
what typical large scale AAA development is like. Like mm-hmm. all, all the stuff that he was describing about Rockstar, I didn't assume would be different from uh, y- you know the yearly grind to get an Assassin's Creed out at Ubisoft. I assume they probably have similar issues. Um, yeah. What they were talking about with Bioware and and Anthem seemed wholly unique and mm-hmm. <laughs> very yeah, it seemed like interestingly much, bad. It was, yeah, it was just Bioware's problems. Mm-hmm. Bioware used to be one of the most respected video game developers. Period. They they mm-hmm. really really held a lot of social cachet. Um, between Knights of the Old Republic and Mass Effect, it seemed like they could do no wrong. Uh, and then Dragon Age 2 was really bad. And then Mass Effect Andromeda was really bad. And now Anthem, this new IP that they've been working on for six years, hardcore, nonstop, uh, is also really bad. And part of why that happened is just because the Bioware people, uh, uh, apparently the Bioware people, saw what, what, they wanted to make something very, very unique. And, and, and it turned out not to be unique at all. It By the time they... When they started development, Destiny had not come out. But then Destiny came out, and they all of a sudden had competition within a very similar slice of the market. Uh, with what they wanted to do with Anthem. Mm-hmm. The problem is that none of the higher-ups wanted to give Bungie the satisfaction of saying their game is like Destiny. So every time Destiny would fix something, and they had to constantly fix things between Destiny 1 and 2 because it started yeah. pretty rough, every time they would fix something, one, uh, <laughs> someone on the Anthem team would say, you know... Destiny actually fixed this problem, and like there's an easy way around it. Uh, they would be shot down. You could not mention Destiny at Bioware. That's that part was one of the most wild things of that entire behemoth of an article, because like I understand that they were trying to kind of blaze their own trail, but if if a developer, another high you know high profile developer, is making a similar game to what you're doing, and they're making changes, like run with that like, yeah your game isn't even out yet and and bungie is basically making all of the mistakes for you mm-hmm. yeah and you have time to fix all of that before this game even comes out but to just completely ignore it and and just tell people no you can't even mention destiny or bungie or whatever like that's just i mean it, it's telling it and it kind of is indicative of the entire issue of this of the the whole kind of premise of this article in bioware just having a lot of problems with things but it's still just it was mind-blowing yeah i i i totally agree because before anthem came out i think the assumption was bioware's got two or three teams and dragon age 2 and uh mass effect andromeda might have been done by a, a newer, more inexperienced, more rushed, less moneyed, whatever, team. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we know Bioware's great. We know they have to be good because they made the Mass Effect original trilogy. And, and all this other... Th- Dragon Age Inquisition was good. Like, mm-hmm. Bioware has to be good. And, like, maybe... Maybe that's not exactly what's happening. Maybe that's mm-hmm. not completely right. Um... 
according to this article uh for for a yeah. number of reasons mainly having to do with um we will say interesting approaches to leadership yeah um the the article was based on the word and interviews of 19 different staffers who worked at the game all from uh, BioWare but despite that BioWare did not like this article uh, th- this is this is again very different from the article on Red Dead Redemption Two because Red Dead Redemption Two, the article was so just like purely bad and and purely like oh man this company sucks that the company mm-hmm. I I don't think Rockstar w- will ever comment on that article. Yeah, because uh, you can't because there was so much yeah just the stuff that they were putting people through and kind of forcing people into it was just. There's nothing. There's no good that would really come from trying to talk about that. Um, well, I mean, if they were gonna change some stuff, maybe. But well, yeah, if they were gonna change, <laughs> but things, like, but why would you change like... some stuff? You know? Yeah. Just but, let yeah, people exactly. be mad at you, and then you continue making money in the background. It'll, it'll be fine. You still get the money. Uh, Bioware, <laughs> on the other hand, put out a statement within the day. Um, on on this article. Yeah. Although it technically wasn't s- specifically on this article, they never said it. But here, here's a snippet. Here's a snippet from that uh, response. People in this industry put so much passion and energy into making something fun. We don't see the value in tearing down one another or another or one another's work. We don't believe articles that do that are making our industry and craft better. Um, what? Well, they're they're a little mad. <laughs> they seem yeah. a little mad about it. Um, so first off, <laughs> um, the article, I feel like I'm responding to Bioware right now and I don't want to feel that way because th- that's dumb. <laughs> the, what they wrote was dumb. Uh, it was, it really was. Jason Schreier's article was not tearing down Anthem. It was not a review of no. Anthem. Uh, he actually talked about the game very little. Uh, just, just a couple of things here and there for context. Uh, so he could get back to talking about the the work environment. So what they're saying here is either that that is too much tearing down, which would be like, oh my god, I can never write a negative review ever in that case because that's too much tearing down. If that's too much tearing down, I'll, I'll go way overboard. Or they think that talking about negative work environments is tearing down someone else in the industry, which is very destructive. Um, yeah, and, and very like, dangerous. Yeah, because there, this article is basically saying, as an industry, we have to just ignore all of the bad things and not actually, oops, and not actually <laughs> talk about um, anything negative. Like we have to just only talk about either we have to just review the games, but even like what they're saying, we don't see the value in tearing down work. Does that mean that you can't write negative reviews anymore? But even just with their statement of saying, you know, we don't believe articles that do that are making our industry better. So I guess according to them, to make the industry better, we just have to ignore things like this that are happening with these large scale companies that really kind of tell us the the inner workings and why things are going wrong. It just seems very, very backwards to me. I'll name no names here, but in our uh, Super Jump Discord server, there was a discussion about this. And I, I think most of us were, were pretty much in agreement of like, 
yeah, Bioware seems really bad right now. They 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 did not come out of this well. But one one person, and again, they didn't sign up to be named for this or anything, so I won't. Uh, but they were they were talking about like, yeah, but you know, we we shouldn't be like so intent on on destroying that first month of a game's sales, right? And um, no, I think we should. <laughs> I think yeah, we I probably think... should. Yeah, because like I get the I, I get the the kind of overall thing of what they were saying of like, well, you know this game still has a chance because like you know a lot of games have come back from the dead you know lately like final fantasy 14 um uh what was the jeez no man's sky um sure like, you know these yeah. these games kind of have give like new life has been breathed into these games like months down the road so it's like i get that of saying okay let's not talk about this this game as if it's dead yet and let's not kind of I think they were kind of seeing this as this article is killing any chance that this game has of, you know, succeeding down the line. But I don't necessarily think that that's true. And I don't think that we have to just kind of ignore these kind of problems just to try and say like, oh, well, we might be able to save this game. So let's just ignore all of these things for now and like not talk about it while it's fresh. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I, I just straight up disagree with the idea. Um mm. there that that's that's almost akin to saying yeah, we want people to know that this is bad, but we don't want the people that are doing the bad thing to be affected by it negatively financially. Um, yeah, exactly. Which is like no, I I think that seems to be the way that makes them listen the most. Um, yeah because it's like if we can if we can make it to you know it's like and none of this is not trying to like you know make the developers like lose money or anything like that and not punish the developers and stuff but it's like the overarching decisions that led to kind of what happened with this game you know if we can make not that saying we want to tank the game but if we can like make a negative impact on things in that way and make it so like hey this game is not going to do well because they even said in that article there were people from Bioware that said I wish that Dragon Age Inquisition hadn't have done so well because because that game did so well it it gave it made Bioware think they had this sort of plot armor that right. would just make them impervious to everything because they all kept saying well like oh no it's fine Bioware magic like remember what happened with that game that that game was really good even though we did all of this bad stuff mm-hmm. leading up to it that game was really good so I think we can do that again so I think something like this, like Anthem, just like with Anthem and with uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, with these games just completely tanking, I think now it's kind of, it's more clear. I, I would hope that it would be more clear to them that there is no magic. Like this is not a thing. You can't sustain these types of practices long term and hope for results every time. Um, unionized games, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, let's just go ahead and do that. I am not the person to do it because I am not in the games industry officially in a development capacity. But man, I would like <laughs> game workers to unionize. That sounds great. Yeah. It would it would just make a lot of things a lot easier. I think that it would just smooth the process of this stuff, and that way we don't run into these kind of issues so often. Because it's like this is, you know. Schreier, he wrote the book, you know, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Yeah. That had 
you know, I think there were six or seven different games in there, but those games were, were spanning like six or seven years. And now he's written two of these bombshell articles in this, and this, when, when did Red Dead come out? Was it last year? Was yeah, it, like it was November. November yeah. Or October. Yeah, so like in this, in the span of about six months, he's written two of these bombshell articles about two of the biggest uh, developers, you know, in the gaming industry. So it's like, yeah, it feels like this is just getting worse, you know, because he doesn't even need to write any more books because he's just writing these articles as they're happening. And just kind of, you know, things are just escalating as we keep going along. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this recently. I uh, I read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels last year, and I, I thought it was really interesting. But, like, the more time I've spent away from it and the more time I've, I've just kind of gone back to thinking about it, that might be one of my favorite books. That's such mm-hmm. a good book. It was, fa- it was fascinating. Yeah. I remember I read that. I was on a plane coming back from somewhere, and I read almost, like, the entire thing between, like, the two plane, uh, two flights. And it was fascinating because... Before that, you had never really heard a lot about the kind of things that led to some of these games. And not even all of the games ending up bad because, you know, even like Stardew was in there and that ended up being, you know, one of the one of the best reviewed and kind of most popular games of, of this generation. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was all... The games didn't always lead to Doom, but just seeing the inner workings of how these games from both big and small developers... You'd never really seen that before, but now it seems like we're just we're seeing it a lot. Yeah, and and, and even some of the stories in the game were like largely positive, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like like uh, his chapter on Obsidian, I think it was Pillars of Eternity. Mm-hmm. It was it just seemed like it it was really hard, and and there there were obstacles that they kept showing up, but in general that it worked out kind of, yeah, and it it, it seemed to be positive and. Uh, it, it makes me not worry about Obsidian, although now they have a different leadership model, so we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> you know, so so that that's that's just uh, that's just a little bit from uh, my personal superhero, Jason Schreier. But we have a little bit of uh, ju- we have some juicy talks to to get to. You ready for that juice? <laughs> yeah, Here, I'm ready. Here's that juice, Wyatt. Melee. It's got some juice in it right now. Oh um, boy, May the seventeen year old game, almost eighteen now. It's amazing what is happening with this. Yeah, game. yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's like 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 that kid that keeps sneaking out of his house when he's fourteen to go drink beer, and then like now he's nineteen. <laughs> like you don't need to. You can just leave. You can just. <laughs> Why but apparently you, you can't because because stuff is still happening. Yeah. No, he's like, I can't just leave. I got to sneak out. It's got to be juicy. So <laughs> here's what's happening with, with Melee Esports. I wouldn't bring this up if I didn't think this was a sign of, of something bigger. Um, mm. There was a match between Chango, who is a Jigglypuff player, and Foxybro. Foxybro? I don't know. Foxybro. Uh, an, ice, yeah. an Ice Climbers player. In a, it was a streamed tournament. People were paying attention. This was in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Foxy Bro had his ice climbers on the ground because that's how you play ice climbers. They are a very one-trick pony character. They have one of the most, the scariest grabs in the game. If you get grabbed by ice climbers, they don't need to ever let you go because there's this mm-hmm. thing called wobbling, where you transfer between. Popo, the, the the male ice climber, uh, 
carrying the person and and then just like kind of clobbering them while he's holding them and then as soon as popo lets the character go nana will just grab the the character and it'll just transfer between ice climbers between before until you're like at 500 600 whatever percent and then they just hit you with one thing and you're done um and that's that that's how ice climbers are played at a high level at a lower level, you can like try a bunch of different strategies, but usually your character will get outclassed if you try something different like that. Now, Jigglypuff is another, a little bit less so, but but kind of also a, a one-trick pony a bit. With Jigglypuff, you want to be in the air. It if you let your character land, they you're you're all of a sudden in neutral. You're in your neutral game where, where Jigglypuff has. Uh, to get the player off the stage just as much as that player has to get Jigglypuff Jigglypuff off the stage. Uh, Jigglypuff is only alright in neutral. Once Mm -hmm. Jigglypuff gets a character off the stage, Jigglypuff almost automatically wins. Just, she has complete air control. So here's what happened. Chango was just camping up, like, high in the air. Sometimes... (laughs) He would land Jigglypuff just on on a platform just to tap down, just to recharge her jumps, and then just get back in the air. And Foxybro was stuck on the ground because that is how Ice Climbers are. Both characters had no interest in going to where the other character was. Now, Jigglypuff in this matchup, it's not a stalemate. Jigglypuff wins because if Jigglypuff can even get a little close... It's very easy to just, like, kill Nana and then you're only one thing and you can't wobble anymore. Or just, like, knock Popo off the side and just start abusing Popo just in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Jigglypuff hold, held all the cards. So they got into a point where it was three stocks Jigglypuff to two stocks Foxy Bro. And it then... There were seven minutes left on the timer. I know I'm going into extreme detail here. It's important. It uh, is. No, yeah. It is. yeah. This has to be explained, this this detail. Yeah, no, it does. Foxy Bro tries just about everything he can try. Uh, he tries, like, kind of going near Jigglypuff and then and then using that, that ice projectile the Ice Climbers have. No dice. Uh, tries sending Nana up there with the up B kind of on her own to maybe, maybe freak... Chango out a little bit. I don't know exactly why that he thought that would work, but it didn't. Uh, and <laughs> he Chango just like swatted Nana away. Now Nana's dead. Now you wasted that stock as well. It got even worse. And then it's just a complete stalemate. You cannot do anything. You cannot approach. You just need to wait. And they waited for a couple minutes. Uh, it became very obvious that Foxy Bro had no chance he got extremely mad unplugged his controller with about a minute left of the match and walked away furious <laughs> uh and and then just to add insult to injury the the way chango decided to win once foxy bro unplugged his controller was by resting him twice <laughs> which was i thought a nice touch um now th- this is a small relatively isolated act of unsportsmanlike conduct maybe um i've seen people get mad at foxy bro saying like no you just need to stick through it like you were outplayed 
you you were put into a corner and and you couldn't do anything you got mad and i've seen people get mad at chango for for camping so much and and, and playing uh what is considered by some people to be to be dirty i don't personally know how i feel about that i i think it's you know if you're gonna win you you entered the tournament to win right but uh yeah right <laughs> yeah you're not breaking a rule just so maybe one person was being unsportsmanlike maybe they both were maybe neither were the point that i think it is is that this is really indicative of the current melee state of play Mm -hmm. uh you you've been covering esports how how often have you seen a discussion about either banning jigglypuff or putting sanctions on jigglypuff or banning wobbling come up in the last maybe since ultimate was released it's been, I mean, it, that's been like the main conversation. Like, cause first it was, it, I feel like it was the, the wobbling thing was, that was maybe like January, February of this year. It got really big because a couple states actually banned ice climbers. Uh, or did they ban just wobbling in general? But well, that basically bans. So when I was most in the melee scene as a player, I that was like 2013, 14. We were already mm-hmm. talking about wobbling and how it's just like, it's this one move in. What we thought at the time was like this otherwise perfect game that that could never be undone, <laughs> could could never be found. Uh, you could never find any flaws in it. But wobbling's just the one thing. Um, but but there there were never any um, there were never any moves to ban it because it's just like yeah, it's not a glitch. It's just the thing ice climbers do. It's just what they're they're up to. And yeah. uh, and not many people play ice like at least at a high competitive right. level. To be fair, like not many people play it, so it never really. There were there are a few ice climbers players in in melee. Chudad is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Fly Amanita, I, I I know of. Um, I don't know if he's still doing it though. That that was a while ago. But yeah, yeah, there, there's a couple, but really they're not they're not winning tournaments. The last time an ice climbers won a tournament like a major i don't know if they've ever won a major actually so it, it's yeah like yeah, if wobbling sure. is, is broken and it probably is it's it's not really impacting the meta so much so it was fine but in february of this year to answer your original mm-hmm. question was when yeah. a, a, a a fairly large tournament not quite a major not quite a, a like a global or anything uh, did decide to outright ban wobbling if you mm-hmm. accidentally wobble you need to. I, I think what they said was like, if you accidentally wobble and it's agreed that it's an accident, you need to give a stock. Yeah, I think that sounds about what I remember reading. Yeah. Um. So I I have a conjecture here. I I've written this out ahead of time, and I want you as an esportsman, as an esportsman, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> tell me tell me how you feel about this idea. Conjecture, much like biological organisms purpose-based human communities like a group of people united by the fact that they play a certain game can be sick they can have a disease currently melee is sick it's hemorrhaging blood uh in in the form of people leaving to play ultimate like of course that that that's probably the biggest single factor of why melee is like going down a little bit mm-hmm. um ultimate is a good game it's like it's the first really really competitive game in, in the series since and since uh melee you're gonna have some of that but in addition, there's there's this new self-destructive meta that's really grabbed onto the game, and it's taking root, and it, it's it's destroying a previously functional meta 
from the mm-hmm. inside. Uh, you you always talk about uh, toxicity within a com- com- uh, uh, a games community, right? Mm-hmm. We we have a problem with that as a as a as a hobby. Toxicity is pretty yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we're talking about this in, in in metaphor with human health, toxicity is just like a toxic thing. You can avoid it. This is this is a disease. I think this is a disease coming from the inside of melee. I think it's sick. Mm-hmm. That's that's my conjecture. I think melee is actually sick, and, and uh, the, the reason why is is kind of. Uh, it seems counterintuitive because melee was never known for being balanced, and that's. It turns out that that's kind of fine. It, it's fine yeah. that the game is not balanced. That's not necessarily one of the things it's supposed to do, but we thought Fox was the best character in the game, and when Fox mm-hmm. and Falco and Marth were the best characters in the game, that is good for viewers. That is good for players. It's good for tournament organizers because they are fast. And because mm-hmm. they encourage a lot of um, they, they encourage a lot of trades, a lot of like really quick action, a lot of strategy, and a, a high level of play. But if Jigglypuff's the best character in the game, and that's what people seem to be saying now, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, when I was playing Jigglypuff in 2013, that is not the way people were talking about her. Uh, but yeah, that, that seems to be the idea now, now that Jigglypuff is the best character in the game, Jigglypuff is slow and Jigglypuff is not strategic and Jigglypuff Mm -hmm. does not take a high level of skill to play. Now the game is worse. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that one character is better than the rest. That that's always been the case. And that's always been workable. I mean, that's, that's every fighting game. Honestly, there's always one, you know, there's always a, a tier of characters that are just better than others because they have more tools and all of that. And, you know, and, and that's fine. I think that kind of has to be that because even if that's true, that doesn't necessarily mean it, it. like most games, you still need skill to play it. Like I can't pick up, you know, a, a quote unquote broken character in Dragon Ball Fighters or in Street Fighter and go out and win Evo. Like you still have to have skill to do it. I, I, I think that's that's correct. And uh, not not to say that hungry box that currently known as the best player in melee and does play jigglypuff is not skilled because he is but like if you give someone who is very skilled this character and they click with them it seems like they're going to win because yeah. of how much easier jigglypuff is to play than fox or falco or or even like Captain Falcon, who is not quite up there, but is considered pretty good. Um, I I wrote an article in 2017 about how much I like Melee, and one of the reasons I I, I credited Melee's uh, I credited Melee so highly was that it had this kind of weird approach to balance that I don't think was intentional, but at the time of writing, it seemed like the the commonly agreed upon tier list almost rose in difficulty to play as you got to the top which means that the easiest character to play in the game which was Kirby was the worst character to play in the game on a high level which is great like that's a perfect balance it mm-hmm. it's, it's not a perfect balance Kirby is worse than Fox 
but that's almost better, right? Like that's yeah. that's yeah, almost exactly. more more useful. Yeah, because because the high tier characters they should be harder to play because it's you should get rewarded for having skill by being able to use this this uh, this better character. Right, and now we've gotten to a point. It's taken eighteen years, <laughs> but we've gotten to a point where we're starting to really exhaust melee. Uh, a, a college friend of mine who played melee was upset when Super Smash Brothers Wii U was going to come out. We didn't know how that was going to go yet. Uh, because he, in his mind, like, this is a direct quote from him, actually, we're not done with Melee yet. Like, Melee isn't finished. Yeah. Um, and and that, was, that was an interesting way to think about it. Like, he w- was upset that Wii U was going to come out because he was like, oh, man, people are going to play this game instead now, and, like, w- we, we have so much longer to go with Melee, and that was 2014. Teen, so he was right that's five years i wonder if this is the sign that in, in, in the way he was talking about it melee is going to be completed soon yeah i mean you know because like you said i think you know like you said melee is sick like, i think that's a fair uh kind of evaluation of things because you know it's gotten to the point where when you when you get to somewhere where where your top tier character is somebody like Jigglypuff that doesn't take as much skill, and not only that, but that the way that Jigglypuff wins is just objectively boring because right. she's just hanging off the edge of the stage, and like you said, touching down every couple seconds to recharge jumps, and that's not fun for anybody to watch. Like, sure, like it's great because you're winning, and whoever is playing that person, like you get the joy of, of winning and, and probably some people also will get the joy of making people frustrated and making people rage quit. Um, but from an objective standpoint, from a viewer standpoint, which is what these games need to survive. If, I mean, sure, you can play the game if nobody's watching, but you need people to watch to kind of sustain the ecosystem. And if that kind of character is at the top, not a lot of people are going to want to watch and it's going to kind of just, you know, snowball from there and you know it's been 18 years there isn't there aren't many games that have had this sort of longevity in the esports space and just kind of this competitive nature because i mean sure there's still people that play you know side tournaments of of uh you know super street fighter you know yeah uh, st and and all those old games but but it's like you know maybe 30 40 people that kind of have a nostalgia thing and and all that, but they're not the main games, you know, they don't have the following people, people aren't like grinding out and making their career off of Alpha 3 anymore, because that game is old and other games have replaced it. So, you know, Melee has been in this weird position of, even though there's been two games, or three games, sorry, since it came out, you know, it's still surviving, but it's like, it almost felt like, you know, you wonder like, can could they sustain that forever? And it seems like the answer might be no. You know, just with the way things are going, like it just may not be possible to kind of continue this game that doesn't have patches. By the way, I think if 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 they patched melee, if they were, I mean, because obviously it, I don't really think there's a way to do that at this point, um, unless you're playing an emulator or something like that, but. If Melee was a modern day game that got patches, I think that it probably could have changed it because then you can just change how these characters work 
to kind of fall in line with with a given meta but with the way just not being able to patch it and just being you know just stuck for better or for worse with this build of the game you know it just seems like you know i don't know if it's if it's sustainable because and unless you just say we're gonna ban jigglypuff and ice climbers but then that's just I don't know how that's going to fly with some people. So it, it just yeah. puts the, the whole community in this kind of conundrum of, okay, do we try and do this? Do do we ban things? Do we say if you play Jigglypuff, like you have to play it this way, but then that's not really how you play Jigglypuff. So it, it just feels like it, it's just in a weird, a weird position altogether. Yeah. Our, our good friend Leffen has a lot of opinions yeah. on what to do with Jigglypuff. And of course. Yeah. <laughs> he, I, I, it's in, he would agree that it's in most melee players' best interest to not ban Jigglypuff. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder if he would agree with me in saying that the reason for this is because banning a character would be akin to admitting a game's failure, which could hurt mm-hmm. the reputation of the game significantly. Yeah, but he would, I think so. He would be uh, much more in favor of... I, I believe he was talking about, like, put a put a limit on how many grabs the the character can do on the ledge or how uh like how long they can stay in the air or or if mm-hmm. there's a if there's a tie in one certain area make the call against jigglypuff always and yeah. like that stuff is never going to fly because yeah cuz in those it's like how do you regulate that cuz then it's like you know, sure, if they're playing on a stream, you've got people watching, but what do you do when it's, you know, first round of pools and you've got 40 people, you know, all in one station huddled together and you're playing, like, is somebody, you're going to have somebody there, like, looking at the clock to make yeah. sure they're like, oh, oh, you've been in the air 30 seconds, you need to come down for another 30 seconds, or, or you, you know, you did this grab too long. Like, it's just, those are things that, those are, like, artificial you know, band-aids that just, I don't think are very practical when it comes to a tournament setting, just because of how much is going on. Yeah. It's it's almost like saying we don't want to admit that this game that we've played for 18 years, and I totally understand why you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to admit this. We don't want to admit that this game is broken. Um, yeah. It, it would, it would be, you can either not do anything about this problem and, and let, let the metaphorical dis- disease spread through the body or you can amputate and Mm -hmm. either way you're not going to revive a 2012 melee you you can't get that back that that Mm -hmm. was a a moment in time and um i i'm really bummed about it personally because i assumed Mm -hmm. melee was our best candidate for something like a forever esport because i i really want a forever esport because the way Mm -hmm. we can get esports watched on a large audience is to make sure they won't be replaced that's a big part of it um yeah and, mm-hmm. and it seems like evo isn't interested in that it seems like evo uh and, and things like evo are really interested in catering to the newest stuff and i get why mm-hmm. but yeah for for esports to be healthy like like if you want to see esports like if you want to see melee on espn it needs to still be melee, right? Because you, you want to have yeah. this idea of like, when, when my dad was five years old, he was watching football on TV, and now he still is. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you cannot do that with a with a 
system of esports that keeps changing. Um, but you know, eighteen years is I it also just a good run for for something like yeah. this. But I mean, yeah, I I do think there there is I mean, just kind of on a larger basis with esports, like you said, I think there in order for it to really break into that mainstream, it there needs to be some sort of stability, and we don't really have that right now. Um, you know, I mean, look at one of the biggest sports or esports out there, Call of Duty. They get a new game every year, so they're forced to kind of learn new things every single year. So it's like that's an esport that's never really gonna until they can kind of get away from that cycle. But then the cycle is there for revenue reasons and all that. So it's like you know, it's unlikely that they're gonna kind of go all in with esports and just say, okay, we're gonna not do the yearly cycle anymore. But there's just a lot of esports out there that just change so often yeah. and, and with patches and everything. Like I think Counter-Strike is probably the closest thing we have to a forever esport at this point because I don't think that they're ever going to come out with a new Counter-Strike. I think CSGO is going to be the game that they play for the rest of time. Um, that's fair. I, yeah. Yeah. But even, but that's that's an esport that's not even – like, yeah, it's fun. Like, I like to watch you know CSGO for esports, but not everybody will. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I will say, like people do say, it is one of the easiest esports to follow just because it's it's round-based. So each you know each round is contained to itself because it's it's basically search and destroy all the time. Sure, yeah. And it's pretty slow-paced. Slow um, but at the same time, that's not you know an esport that's going to uh, appeal to literally everybody. Um, so I think for, you know, but something like a fighting game, like those are even easier to understand, you know, whether it be melee or, or street fighter or what have you. So it's like it just feels like there just needs to be something, and it, it did feel like melee was going to be that thing for a long time. It, it, it felt like melee had the biggest been, shot. Yeah, like, like yeah, if melee took this so long, long to get sick, when when do you think Counter Strike would get sick? Like the the reason the reason chess is still being played today and it's considered so so like competitive and, and balanced and, and like good to play is because mm-hmm. it, it had these informal cultural patches right yeah and, and, and it would never be patched it would never be changed until something was so bad that the, the game w- w- could be cured by patching yeah. it in that way like because chess wasn't played the same for for 500 years it like mm-hmm. a, a few hundred years ago, I'm sure chess in, in different parts of the world had very different rules. It, it's only kind of coagulated into one chess rule set in, in the modern day. And like I, I think about what you said about melee getting patches. Like how would that be if melee got patches? We would have patched, patched. We would have nerfed like Sheik mm-hmm. because that was the character that was the highest in the tier list when melee first came out for like a couple years. That wouldn't have done anyone any good, because now yeah. we totally know how to play around Sheik. Sheik is considered like top five in the game, but Sheik is Sheik. You know, it like it's it's doable. It you can beat Sheik with Fox or Marth or Jigglypuff. It's it's possible to do. And um, it, like, when do you start patching? How how do you know that? 19 years is the amount of time that you need to start yeah. patching. You need to wait 18 years and then patch. And then patch. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, who's doing it? Nintendo's not doing it. They've moved on 18 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're done. So, yeah. 
even if it even if it was a modern game like like Fortnite or or Smash Ultimate or, or whatever, mm. they're not getting a patch eighteen years from now. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, at this point, yeah, I mean, you're right. If if Melee could get patches, yeah. the patches would have come a long time ago. Like they would have just stopped getting patches after Brawl came out, and it, we'd be right back in the same situation. Um. So in short, I I think this might be a tentative goodbye to Melee. Uh, it, it'll be a while until this like really drives itself into the ground. Um, yeah. It, so it's not like going anywhere in the meantime. But there's so many things. Ultimate came out, and uh, it's the first actual like very competitive Smash Bros. since Melee. So people have gone on to that. And yeah. Evo has decided it doesn't need to showcase Melee anymore. Uh, yep. Some of the best players in the game, uh, Armada and Doctor PP and and, and uh, even Leffen kind of have tentatively moved on. Yeah, even Plup has been playing a lot of Ultimate. Yeah. You know, I think he, he's still playing Melee, but he's been putting a lot of time with Ultimate as well. Yeah, and, and uh, like like he, even Zero moved on to Ultimate, and he was considered the best in the game at, at the other game he was, play, he was playing Wii U. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, that's all in addition to this potential meta sickness. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't look good, um, but I hope Ultimate can do a fraction of what melee has been able to do over the years final news item and i want to go really quick because we went over time with that um borderlands 3 was announced and it looked like borderlands i don't have a connection to the series (laughs) on an emotional level i've played the games but i thought they were fine and this looks like more um yep (laughs) yep uh in addition to the announcement though why actually do you want to talk about this yeah, sure. Yeah, I can, I can, I can do this one. So, obviously, yeah. So, Borderlands Three, it's a game that people, you know, Borderlands Two came out in 2012. So, the diehard community has been waiting for this for quite a while. Um, so, when it was announced last week, it was very. There was a lot of hype. The announcement didn't go as well as smoothly as planned. There was a, a, a like a 10 FPS trailer that the first time the trailer was shown, it had terrible frame rate and all that kind of stuff. So, they had a lot of hiccups down the road. But generally, the, the main core of Borderlands people were very excited for the game because it's finally here. Um, you know, people who weren't really into it were just kind of like, okay, cool, looks like more Borderlands, which is a completely fair assessment in my opinion. Um, but then Monday rolled around and they finally announced the release date for it. And along with the release date, they announced that when it comes out on September 13th, it will be exclusive to the Epic Game Store for six months, and then in April of 2020, it will come out to other digital sellers for PC. Um, you know, on PlayStation and Xbox, the launch will be completely the same, but for the PC community, if you want this game when it comes out in September, you have to buy it on the Epic Game Store, and that upset a lot of people. It, it did and... upset a lot of people, and uh, <laughs> Wyatt, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and put my mouth on the line here. I think they're babies. I think they're being real babies about it. <laughs> I agree. I think it's a very, you know, like, I mean, personally, I've never understood the whole issue with where you buy your game and why that's a big deal. Um, because, like, who cares? Like, literally, where you buy the game is literally just the thing that you go to to click play. And then you play the game. The game itself is not changed at all by where 
you download it. So I don't understand what the big deal is. Um, I, I think it's just this whole, the word exclusive just rubs people the wrong way, I think, in the gaming community. Because you, you saw it a lot with the whole, they don't do it as much anymore, but with like the whole timed exclusive thing that was coming out with consoles yeah. during this generation. Like, you know, Tomb Raider was a timed exclusive for Xbox, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, so like that upset some people. I, I think there's just something about when something is quote-unquote exclusive it just makes people upset for whatever reason because they feel like their sense of choice or identity is being taken away but i mean like we were saying before we started the show almost every game has technically been exclusive to steam because that's where you buy 90 percent of your games is on steam yeah um but I think because now there's something else, because there is competition in this space for the first time in, you know, ever really, uh, when it comes to PC gaming, that people are just now upset about the exclusive part because they feel like they're being forced into a choice. But like, who cares? You know? Yeah, I, I really can't a... possibly care. It's a different website, basically. Just like, <laughs> yeah. If you were on Steam and you're like, man, Borderlands Three isn't here, but I want it. Go to a different website, pay the same money you would have, and just get it. Like, I, I understand. Yep. I understand that there are some features that are currently lacking in the Epic Game Store, including mm-hmm. uh, cloud save seems to be a big one. Yeah, but it, I mean, with, with a controversy this big, you don't think they're working on cloud saves? Like, yeah, and not to mention the there. launcher's four months old. Like, I don't like cloud saves didn't exist when Steam came out. So, like, obviously they got them in time. So, yeah. Also, this like, is something like, I just thought of right now. It's a PC game. Just export your save file because you own it on a PC, and then you save it to the cloud. You do it. Yeah. Like it's easy. Right? It's, you it's make not, your own cloud save. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah easy to do. It's it's not. I, I wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I hadn't just, thought about that confusing. until right now, and now I have no sympathy whatsoever. You just go yeah, to a different same. website. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And then not not only that, but I think like even Randy Pitchford, the the CEO of, of Gearbox, he said even after all of this happened, he was like, he first said like, "Hey guys, this was 2K's decision, not our decision. There's nothing we could do about it." But then he was like, "But the fact that." Steam is doing nothing about these review bombs kind of makes me okay with the decision to go yeah. to Epic Game Store anyways. Yeah, because if you, if you go to Borderlands 1 or 2 right now on Steam, the most recent reviews will say mixed reviews. And it's it's like th- uh, almost a thousand or thousands of just thumbs down. And all they say is like there's, you know, like clip arts of middle fingers saying like F Epic and you shouldn't have done this and all this. So people are review bombing games that everybody agrees that are very good games just because you're upset about the game being on a different platform so they're all right but (laughs) but but yeah i i totally see what you're saying um it's just very weird in consoles in in the world of consoles i understand being upset about an exclusivity agreement because that's a $300 $300 investment to get another console. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um yeah. and like there there are lifestyles centered around certain machines 
But mm-hmm. this is this it's just a different website on the same yeah, machine. Yeah, it's not like they're forcing you to like you don't have to pay anything else yeah. different than what you would before. Install the store launcher on your machine in 5 minutes and like you yep. you got it. That'll it, that'll take less time than downloading the game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. That's been our show. Uh, you can write into us at <laughs> podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. That's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Let's head into our closing segment, the after school activities. The after school activities are, of course, the area of the show where we recommend that the audience go check something out or listen, listen to something, play something, watch something in between now and the next episode. And uh, I I have something. I have a movie. It's on Netflix. It is called Playing Hard. It's a documentary about the development of For Honor. Um, A great documentary. I I think a a really interesting uh, documentary. Just to go along with the uh, news story about Anthem. This is is a a kind of similar idea. I don't think it's as bad conditions as Anthem, but like, there's some stuff going on at Ubisoft, uh, so so yeah, it, it's it's a good movie to check out, especially if you're interested in, in work conditions and uh, what the games industry is actually like, that kind of thing. Why? What is your after school activity? Uh, so mine, keeping in the theme of fighting games, uh, if you go to YouTube, if you just type in thirteen zero, um, you will find uh, the first two results should be the actual matches and then a short kind of documentaries type thing about the matches. So. Uh, there's these two players in the, the Mortal Kombat community. One is named Sonic Fox. He's widely seen as one of the best fighting game players. I'm sure all of time. our listeners are very familiar with Sonic Fox. <laughs> and uh, and then Perfect Legend, who is another uh, a, a NetherRealm kind of player. He plays Injustice, Mortal Kombat. So they did a a a first to ten that Perfect Legend lost thirteen to zero. Um, so you know first to whatever is kind of a common thing in the fighting game community. So these two had a lot of drama and beef kind of going back and forth between each other. So they were like, okay, let's do a first to 10 because that's kind of the, the way that you show like, hey, if I can beat you 10 times, that means that I'm better. Right. So Sonic Fox went 10 and 0 and he you know popped off and started talking trash. And for some reason, Perfect Legend decided to ch- challenge him to a first to three, told him to switch characters because he was like, oh, you, you use this character. You can't, you, you can't beat me if you play this other character. So he made him switch, and they did a first to three, and then he lost that three to zero as well. So it became this infamous moment of of him losing a first to ten, thirteen to zero. So it was a <laughs> a, a pretty pretty wacky thing um, that you kind of really only see in the fighting game community. But it's pretty cool, and with Mortal Kombat eleven coming out in a couple weeks, that's something that you can kind of watch and kind of see the history of one of kind of the bigger rivalries rivalries in that scene. Huh. Wow. Uh, I'll definitely have to check that out. So, uh, short announcement. We are definitely going to E3 this year. I talked about this last episode as well, but if you didn't catch that last episode, I have uh, personally a, a media pass for E3. I will be there. Um, Wyatt, do you have any plans of going to E3 this year? I might. My baby is going to be born like a month before Oh, maybe that, don't. So I, think, yeah, <laughs> so I think things might be a little bit in flux around that time. But uh yeah. Well, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I'm that's a TBD for right now. <laughs> yeah, and after that happens, I'll uh, we'll try to record another episode, maybe 18 years from now, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still playing melee. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, get that baby started on Melee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> don't even let them understand. Don't unlock Jigglypuff and, and Ice Climbers. Just yeah, no, <laughs> unlock just every other with, character. It's a perfect game. You play with these characters. I'll just put ta- tape on the screen on the, on the roster where those players are. <laughs> you can't see these people. Uh, that's been the show. Our theme song has been the song Jerome. It's by Jamitar. Go check out Jamitar. He's a good musician. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Review us on iTunes if you can. Tell a friend. We grow our uh, demographic mostly through word of mouth. So if you could do that, that would mean a lot to us. And uh, again, if you want our if you want a review to be read on the show, if you want a message, a question, whatever to be read on the show, that's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Thanks for listening, and stay super!